text this morning is from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 6, and will be in verses 27 through 38. But I say to you that listen, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to everyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do unto others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. If you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. If you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. Do not judge, and you will not be judged. Do not condemn, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For the measure you give will be the measure you get back. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Now, if you don't mind... I'll be real honest, before I even start doing this, I intended to walk up here with a newspaper, but I didn't find one, because those are hard to find these days. Uh, But I'm going to start off by reading some current events. So the first one, the alleged attack on the Empire actor Jesse Smollett was sprawled into a, has sprawled into nearly a month-long saga of confusing reports and contradictions. Smollett, who is black and openly gay, maintains that he was the victim of a brutal hate crime in late January. But after a daily array of twists and turns, he became a suspect and was charged with a felony for allegedly filing a false police report. A judge has set bond and ordered the actor to surrender his passport. How many of y'all have been paying attention to that story? It seems like it's all over the place, right? Second one. A Coast Guard lieutenant and self-described white nationalist who was arrested in Maryland last week was plotting to kill a long list of prominent journalists and Democratic politicians, as well as professors, judges, and what he called leftists in general, uh, federal prosecutors said in a court filing on Tuesday. Lieutenant Christopher Paul Hassan, who is 49, was arrested Friday on gun and drug charges, but prosecutors said in the filing that those charges were just the proverbial tip of the iceberg. The filing argued that Lieutenant Hassan should be held until he is tried, describing him as a domestic terrorist who intended to, quote, murder innocent civilians on a scale rarely seen in this country. In the last month, prosecutors said the lieutenant used his work computer to draw up a list of prominent figures he called traitors and wanted to kill, including many well-known anchors and hosts of CNN and NBC News networks and a number of Democratic elected officials. That one uh, has not been as well-known, but it still happened this week. And then the third one uh, comes from an article that was in the Houston Chronicle. 
In all, since 1998, we have found roughly 380 Southern Baptist church leaders and volunteers have faced allegations of sexual misconduct. This includes those who were convicted, credibly accused, and successfully sued, and those who confessed or resigned. More of them worked in Texas than any other state. They left behind more than 700 victims, many of them shunned by their churches, left to themselves to rebuild their lives. Some victims were urged to forgive their abusers and get abortions. After 220 offenders have been convicted, or about 220 offenders have been convicted or took plea deals, and dozens of cases are pending. They were pastors, ministers, youth pastors, Sunday school teachers, deacons, church volunteers. Nearly 100 are still held in prisons, stretching from Sacramento, California to Hillsboro, Florida. State and federal records show. Scores of others cut deals and served no time. More than 100 are registered sex offenders. Some still work in churches today. That last one uh, actually comes with a registry. Uh, you can search by position uh, or by state. If you look in Mississippi, there are eight. I know two of them personally. One of them took me to Six Flags one time. I share these stories because at least one of them is bound to make your blood boil. At least one of them is bound to make you angry, and justifiably, understandably so. It seems so often now that our news is filled with stories of strife, of abuse, of violence, of hatred in a way that makes it hard to focus on anything else. Anger is a funny thing, though, because different folks respond to anger in different ways. I know this more than anybody, I think, because Alicia and I couldn't respond to anger any differently. Alicia is the kind of person that when she gets angry, she burns hot and she burns fast and then it is over. She is TNT. <laughs> I, on the other hand, am that smoldering campfire that you thought was out and you accidentally stepped in in the morning and burned the mess out of your foot because I hold on to anger in the back of my mind for forever. When something atrocious climbs into me and it just holds on, it kind of just sets up tent and it stays in my mind for weeks. I can't do anything about it. It's like a I forget it's there, but it just kind of completely ruins my day out of nowhere. Enemies have a tendency to do that, though, don't they? They have a tendency to, to set up shop in our heads and live there rent-free. How much time do we spend thinking about our enemies that we could spend thinking about productive aspects of our day? How often do we spend time thinking about how someone has wronged us or wronged someone else or is just plain wrong instead of thinking about what we could be doing in the world? I can't sit here and tell you that when Jesus is preaching the sermon that we just listened to, that the, the folks were having enemies who were distant news stories or neighbors with bad attitudes. That's not what they were dealing with. For many of the listeners listening, living in Palestine at that time of Jesus's ministry, Roman occupiers were making their lives hell with taxes, with daily prosecution, and with crosses for dissidents. 
With that in mind, it makes sense for Jesus to start off by saying, I say to those that will listen to me, because honestly, who wants to hear what Jesus has to say in this moment? These men hung my neighbor on a cross. He, they show up and sleep in my house with no consent or invitation, and you're telling me to bless them? If you listen hard enough, you can just hear the blood boiling in the listeners of Jesus' sermon. Just as much as your blood boils when you hear of hate crimes and of white nationalists and of sex offenders in pulpits. But no matter whether you're looking at the situation in first century Palestine where safety seems so far off and persecution is as consistent as breathing, or if you're looking at our situation where the world gets so much smaller and smaller, it seems like villains and atrocities are the only thing we can hear about. Hate is still a primal, powerful part of the human nature and the human condition. It's an understandable position to have feelings of distrust and anger towards those who do terrible things because our natural intent is to keep ourselves safe, to keep those around us safe. This, these people that are doing bad things can hurt you. They can humiliate you. They can kill you and everyone you love. Why should you trust them? They might have already hurt you. It's only logical to harbor negative feelings. It's only logical to want to hurt them back. So imagine yourself in that crowd when Jesus says, love your enemies, bless those who hurt you, and pray for those who persecute you. Imagine realizing exactly what this rabbi is saying to you. If there was any hope that this guy was about to start an uprising, to be their understanding of the Messiah and take it to Rome and finally teach them who's boss, that might be thrown out the window right now. But not only that, this seems wholly radical, right? This seems to be completely unlike anything anyone has ever heard. But when we hear the story of Joseph that Alicia read earlier, we realize that loving your enemies has been a part of our scriptures the whole time. In that story, Joseph, who was sold into slavery by his brothers, shows up and says, come closer to me. And naturally, when we hear that and know what they have done to him, we expect him to sock them in the mouth. But no. He's telling them that God has sent him to them to take care of them, that things are going to get bad, but he is going to help save them with God's help. He did not return their evil with evil, but instead returned to it with grace and with goodness. It's in this spirit that Jesus was preaching on that plane. Like Joseph, our enemies are our brothers. The natural human response is to retaliate, to ignore our familial connection just as much as they did. But Jesus says no. Jesus says love them. But this isn't a weak love. This isn't a lay down love. This is not doormat love. It's a resilient love. Jesus says when they strike you, show them the other cheek. 
Richard will probably tell me I'm wrong about this, but my understanding is that in that culture, you had two hands, and one was for clean things, and one was for dirty things, if you get where I'm going. And basically, when you strike someone with your left hand, what you're saying is, you are beneath me. And so when they strike you with the left hand on the right cheek, and you move to show them your left cheek, have you ever tried to back slap somebody on the left cheek with the left hand? It's really hard to pull off. You've got to hit them with the right hand. And so what you're saying is, you might think that I'm lesser than you. You might think I'm below you. You might think that I am dung of this earth. But if you want to hit me, you have to hit me like you're equal. You have to hit me like someone that is on the same level as you. Jesus wasn't saying that the response to evil was timidness. Rather that the response to evil was not evil in kind. Likewise, when Jesus says, hey, you, you know, if they take your coat, give them your shirt. What they're saying is, oh, you want to take from me? Then I am going to make you look a fool because you just made me naked in front of all these people. It didn't work out well for a Roman soldier if suddenly there was a bunch of naked Jews around them, if you get what I'm saying. It's after all of this, though, that he gives us the golden rule to do unto others as you'd have them do unto you. Yesterday, I could really say this at any time because it's always this way, but yesterday Eden got into Winnie's face a little bit. Afterwards, I asked her if she knew the golden rule. I'm going to catch it about telling this story later. She's already mad. I can see it on her face. <laughs> she said, I know how it goes, but I can't remember it exactly. And I said, so how does it go? And she says, don't do something to somebody unless you want them to do it to you too. That's pretty close, but it's completely wrong at the same time. And so we talked about it and we said, uh, well, so you don't want her to get in your face back. And I said, she said, yeah. And I said, so you did it. And she said, yeah. But I said, but the other thing, the actual way that it goes, and I explained the golden rule, because don't do something to somebody unless you want them to do it to you too, is the natural way of the world is the natural, it's the natural assumption of why you do moral things. You don't steal because you don't want your stuff taken away. You don't kill because you would prefer not to die, right? There's just this understanding that there's an eye for an eye mentality. But Jesus is saying, no, don't do bad things because you don't want bad things to do be done to you. Rather, don't do bad things to people because you want good done to you. Do good to people because you would want that for yourself. In this understanding, it puts all of the onus of your actions on you. You do not do to people in response to what they have done to you, but rather you do good to people in hopes that they will do good to you as well. It makes your response to people, the way you live around them, completely independent of what they've done to you. You can't be bullied into evil. You can't be hurt into evil. And you can't be angered into evil in this understanding. It's easy to fall into the trap, though, of focusing on the next part of what Jesus has to say and hanging the entire sermon on that because we love rewards as people. 
Because Jesus says, love your enemies, do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great and you will be children of the Most High. For he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Your reward will be great. I could start and end there and a lot of folks would be happy. It'd be easy to hang our hats on that and say that it's the ultimate reason we're going through this. It's the ultimate reason that we're holding to the golden rule so that we receive a reward at the end. You know that whole bit, I say it all the time, about how when the grandmother is treating the kids right, it is because she is not the same woman she used to be. She's an old lady that is trying to get into heaven now. (laughs) We could just go the route of the church, of many a church, and say, love your enemies because Jesus is going to reward you for it through heaven or through blessings or maybe financial gain pressed down and shaken together, maybe just the opportunity to see those enemies get theirs later. That's a reward, reward, right? But to walk away with this conclusion is to completely turn our backs on the theme and thesis of what Jesus is trying to say. Our reward for loving our enemies isn't some special spot in heaven or a financial reward or popularity or sweet, sweet vengeance. That's not what any of this is about. Our reward for loving our enemies is the people we become by loving our enemies. Our reward for blessing those who persecute us is the blessing of supernatural grace that only comes through moving away from the cycle of hatred and death that rolls through all of human history. Our reward is the change that can come in the hearts and minds of our assailants when we see when they see our other cheek. When they see us as human because we've first seen them as human too. Our reward is the peace that can only be made through the movement of the church as the kingdom of God through the power of Jesus Christ our Lord. Today we're going to celebrate the table. We are going to celebrate communion together You've all heard this story before about the first time we served communion here through intinction with the walking up and the dipping into the cup when Chuck Strong said that it was so powerful and pivotal for him because it was impossible to look people into the eye and say, this is the body of Christ broken for you and have any animosity towards them. Because ultimately there's something about the table. There is something about a meal together that can turn enemies into friends. There's something about a shared meal that reminds everyone at the table of the humanity of those partaking. If peace is possible, it is possible through this table, through communion with each other and through communion with God. And while the, while we experience this communion today, a song will be playing It is a tune you will recognize, but it is a tune of a song that is often, that it's the story of it, it's connected to a war. It is connected to a just war, but a war nonetheless. It was a just cause, but not one that really knew how to love its enemies. The new words are written by the woman singing. It's an artist named Audrey Assad. 
And as we focus on the words, we will have a time afterwards to sing it together as our hymn of reflection. <laughs> 